Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, there's a lot going on. Um, we're, we're finishing up Hanukkah. We're in a new month, the month of Tevis, which is a fascinating month for a lot of different reasons and uh, just just all sorts of stuff. So so why don't we why don't we just jump in? Let's just talk about this month. Uh, Tevis is 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 you know, it doesn't get a lot of press. <laughs> People don't discuss it that often. But there's some remarkable things about it. Um, we can actually say it's the darkest month of the year. Um, and and, and it, we'll see some interesting things that relate to that in a moment. Um, but, but, but one thing I want to bring out is that Hanukkah always goes into the, the beginning of, of this month. Hanukkah is, is unique of all the Jewish holidays in that it straddles two months. It begins in Kislev and then it goes into Teves, which is, which is interesting. That's, that's, that's striking. It's unique. Um, something else that's unique about it is that, uh, you know, we have what they call full Hallel. Hallel, of course, is the, you know, just the, the, the Thanksgiving series of psalms that we say on, on holidays. And, and um, we have two versions of it, what we call full Hallel and what you'll hear referred to as half Hallel. Half Hallel is actually about 85% Hallel, but for some reason, half Hallel caught on is the way to describe it. You only leave out a, a couple of parts of it, but, but whatever it is. Anyway, anytime you've got a, a holiday like um, Hanukkah or Pesach or, you know, Shavuos, you know, something like that, you always say full Hallel, always. Anytime you have Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the new month, you have half, half, half Hallel. In other words, for Rosh Chodesh, you do say Hallel, but you don't say the full Hallel. So there's one exception. Interesting. One exception. One Rosh Chodesh out of the 12 months of the year where you say full Hallel. And that's Tevez. That's the darkest month of the year. You're saying the, the full Hallel. And you're not saying it because it's the month of Tevez, and, and so we make a special exception for that month. We say it because Rosh Chodesh always is falling during Hanukkah, where we say the full Hallel. So, so hopefully that's clear. So in other words, the, the headlines from that thought, <laughs> just to review, are that we never say a full Hallel on Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the month, except for this one month that we're in right now. And the reason why we say the full month is because it happens to always occur during Hanukkah, where we're saying the full Hallel, during Hanukkah. But you can go deeper. You can go deeper. Which is... Just that it's striking that during the darkest month of the year, that's the only time where we're saying the fullest praise. So, so this is sort of like opening up a discussion, opening up our minds to what is the interrelationship between darkness and light? What is the, what is, what is the interrelationship between the difficulties that we encounter in our life and giving full thanks? This, these are these are things that are very much uh, central to the human condition. Because there's no life without difficulty. There's no life without problems. As, as I heard, I think, uh, Dennis Prager's friend's mother, I think that's the, the Masora on that, the chain of uh, communication, but it's, it's, to me, one of the great truisms, which is that, that the only people who don't have problems are the people that you don't know that well. <laughs> That's just the reality. That's just the reality. You, 
People think that because that person doesn't have my problem, therefore they don't have any problems. That's the, that's the fake logic, or the, the flawed logic, I should say, that people apply. Because you don't have my problem, therefore, ah, you don't have any problems. But not only do they have problems 100% of the time, their problems that they do have might be stronger than the problems that you have. They just have them in a different category in their life. This is, this is the thing. And we, we, we talked about it before. I um, wrote this line in an episode of Final Space that I was happy with, which is, all of us are broken. The only question is how much and how far are we willing to go to fix them? That's it. That's, that's everybody. And if you approach everyone that you deal with, no matter how pricey the car they're driving or, or fancy the suit they're wearing, if you approach every single person with this from the standpoint that all of us are broken, then believe me, this is going to get rid of a lot of the causeless hatred in the world. Because basically you're going to approach every, every single person who you see from the standpoint of compassion. And that's, that, that's actually not just you being nice, that's actually the reality of the world. You understand? You're, you're actually tuned into what, what the MS is. That's what we want. We want to live in reality. That's the, the whole idea. So, so we tend to think that um, when things are going well, God, God exists. And when things aren't going well, does God really exist? Is there really a God? Because why aren't things going well? If, you know... So, so this is a very skewed way to view God. It's a very skewed way to view the world, and it's a very skewed way to view our lives in this world. What we have to understand is that, that obstacles are part and parcel of what it means to be a human being and, it, and what it means to be alive. And since God fills all of existence in the entire world, that means that he must fill all problems as well. In other words, all obstacles have to come from him as well. Now, some of them we generate from ourselves. We generate because of our own actions, and we bring them upon ourselves, right? Um, others are just challenges that we face. But, but, but we have to get rid of this idea of punishments. And I'm going to replace it with a different word, which I think is much more instructive and will allow us to sort of maximize um, our relationship with God, everything is a fixing. Everything is a fixing. I saw something from Reb Sadaka Cohen in uh, Tekanis Hashavin, which I really thought was great. This is like a master thought. Like, this is, you have to understand, this is a thought coming from someone who knew the entirety of the Torah. Right? So when he gives you a simple classification you understand this is coming from someone who knew the entirety of the Torah. You ready for this? He said he put obstacles in three in three places, right? They're either it's either coming from the Yetzirah, those are the internal obstacles, or it's coming from Shibud Machios, that's the um, nations of the world basically giving us a hard time, or it's coming from the Malachamavis from death. These are like three stumbling blocks. One's internal spiritual difficulties, the problems that one has with the world, so to speak, like the, 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 uh, the authorities of the world, and then death itself. 
it's a it's a it's a fascinating fascinating overview of just obstacles just like just if you want to just categorize obstacles right there it is um, okay so so the thing is is that if God fills the entire world then then God fills every obstacle as well and if you view it not as a punishment but as a fixing or as an opportunity to grow then all of a sudden your perspective begins to change in terms of how you go through life. Now, something came to me during the davening yesterday that I got very excited about, right? Like, okay, for whatever reason, my family recently has gotten into popcorn. (laughs) Not just popcorn, but making popcorn. And not just making popcorn, but making really good popcorn. (laughs) Like crunchy popcorn. Like a lot of times you eat popcorn and it's like you're chewing cotton, but you can actually make popcorn that it's, it's actually really crunchy, really good. Anyway, so we, we and, and it's become sort of like this Shabbos, part of our Shabbos routine is the making of the popcorn before Shabbos. And then like we have popcorn around the house. Okay. So I've been thinking about popcorn. So here's, here's, here's my big thought about popcorn. You ready? Like, you're going to be amazed that you haven't heard this thought before because this sounds like something you should have heard like 60 years ago. It's a very simple thought. A popcorn kernel is very small, but a piece of popcorn, which comes out of the kernel, is about five times the size of the kernel. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Isn't that interesting that contained within a kernel of popcorn is something in terms of percentages, 400, 500% larger than the thing itself. And now, one more step. Imagine a chick coming out of an egg. When a chick comes out of an egg, which is larger than the egg, or it gets larger pretty fast, it leaves the eggshell behind. But if you actually look at a popped kernel, all of the kernel was still with the piece of popcorn. In other words, it hasn't left its old self behind. <laughs> it's still integrated in, in, in of the fully realized blossom version of itself. You can still see all of its old self. It didn't chuck its old self behind. It just grew, literally. It just grew many times over. So, so hopefully you've all been connecting the dots while I've been saying that. I'm talking about all of us, <laughs> right? Imagine how much more of you is inside of you. (laughs) Many yous, many times you are inside of you. And you can bring all of that out, but you don't have to chuck your old self. You can do it in a way, like a piece of popcorn, where you're still part of the the giant-sized you. So, so obstacles, obstacles, because how does a, how does, how does, how does it take place just not to overlearn this analogy, but, but how does it take place? Yet you heat up the kernel, right? It, it usually happens like when you're popping corn anyway, there's, there's some conflict or there's an obstacle or there's a test or there's some discomfort, right? 
it's the heat. It's the heat that creates the transformation. You know, I know in, in AA, for instance, they talk about hitting bottom. That, the, that a lot of times the transformation doesn't happen until a person hits, hits bottom. Meaning to say, when it really heats up for the person. You know? Uh, so I want to give you something from the Chedusha Rim on this subject, which, uh, which I love. And I, I, was, uh, I was privileged just to be in Poland, um, you know, like a couple of weeks ago. And Motzei Shabbos at around, like our last stop before we went to the airport, back to, to Warsaw, probably about three o'clock in the morning, was to go to the kever, the gravesite of the Chedush Erem, who's buried next to the, the Sfas Emes. So the first Ger Rebbe and the second Ger Rebbe are right next to each other. It was, it was awesome. And I'll tell you something else that was awesome, besides walking into a cemetery at 3 a.m. outside of Warsaw, <laughs> was that it's a very humble little building. Almost like, I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I don't want to use the word shack, but a very humble, a very humble structure around it. And, you know, there are the Ger Hasidim. There are a lot, Kanaino Hora, of Ger Hasidim. And certainly for the Grand Rebbe, the Chedush Arim, the first Rebbe of Ger and the Sfas Emes, I'm sure if they raised funds in a second, in a second, they could make that into a palace. In a second, they could make that into a palace. I, I, there's not even the slightest doubt in my mind. And you see that they haven't. In other words, the, it's not like... I hope I'm communicating. In other words... It is how they want it to be. <laughs> there is no neglect here. That's the point. There's no neglect here at all. It is how they want it to be. And how I think they think the Chidush Yerim and the Sfasemis wanted it to be. Which is without any pretense whatsoever. And just with simplicity. Yeah. So, so the, in the name of the Chidush Yerim, he says something very beautiful and just like only a, a very great Rebbe could say this. So the line, it's, um, yeah, he says, the line, it's a famous line from Hallel, Zehashar Lashem Tzadikim Yovuvo, which means this is the gate of Hashem, the righteous shall enter through it. So listen to this, like, his mind. His mind is like 3D. I'm sure it was like 10D, you know? But, but he's going 3D on the Pusik here. You have to visualize it. This is, the, this is the gate of Hashem. The righteous will enter through it. So now, let's go inside his mind for a moment. This is the gate of Hashem. What is a gate? A gate is something that's locked off. I can't get in. A gated community. Right? I can't get in. There's a gate. So a gate is actually an obstacle. A gate is an obstacle. So it says, Zehashar Lashem, this is the gate of God. Who made this obstacle? <laughs> God made this obstacle. And what's the next word? Tzadikim will enter through it. 
by overcoming the challenges that God puts before me, he's giving me the opportunity to become a tzaddik. (laughs) To become holy. Right? And then the next words, Odecha, I thank you. (laughs) Thank you, God, for the obstacles that you put in front of me that allowed me to overcome them so that I could make myself into a tzaddik, into a holy, righteous person. So, 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 so this is the confusion that, that all of us go through. We, we think in very, very simple terms. If everything is going right, right, and we can equate that with light, and by the way, I just have to throw in one of my favorite Hanukkah facts, since we're still in Hanukkah, which is Hanukkah is on the 25th of Kislev. That's where it begins, on the month of Kislev. And of course, it's the celebration of light, right? The, the deepest, most primordial light of creation, right? The first light of creation. So it's on the 25th of Kislev, and the 25th word of the Torah is or. It's the first appearance of the word or, which means light, in the entire Torah is on the 25th, the 25th word. You, you just see the precision that all of the events of history and everything, you know, has been filtered through. So we think that if there's darkness, that must mean the, 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 the absence of Hashem. But if Hashem fills the entire world, what do you mean the absence of Hashem? So God must be present in the struggle and in the darkness as well. It has to be if God fills the entire world and God runs the entire world. So let me make it a little bit even more way out. And you, you can check the... Can, you can Google this because I've seen different numbers. I've seen numbers as low as I think 80% and numbers as high as 90% or higher. Okay, so you ready for this? This is, this is a massive thought. According to science, current science, approximately somewhere in that range, those numbers, which is in every version, the overwhelming majority, right? 80, 90%, whatever we're talking, that, that's basically the whole thing. Of the universe is made of something called dark matter. Or dark energy. And you know what they say? You know what that is? They say, well, we don't know what it is. <laughs> That's what it is. That's why it's called dark. We don't know what it is. So wait a second. You're telling me. You're telling me. You, the smartest people of the world, are telling me that the overwhelming majority of the universe is made out of something that we don't know. What, we don't know? Yes. <laughs> So, so that's, that's, that's this world, that's this life. You know, uh, an, an old teacher of mine said one time that uh, something that I've never forgotten. He said, in the next world, you're going to get the answers to all of your questions, but you're not going to be able to do anything about it. He said, in this world, you don't have the answers to all of your questions, but you can do something about it. It's pretty, that's, that's deep. That's deep. It's deep because there's so many people who 
who are of an intellectual bent, who are like, you know what, I'll do it when you explain it to me. I'll do it when I understand it. Like, do you know, do you know how your computer works? No, but do you use it? Yes. Like, there's a million examples of it. Do you know how penicillin works? No. Do you use it? Yes. <laughs> but as soon as it starts to touch into my comfort zone, right? Ah, I got to understand a little bit better. We've got to get comfortable with the idea of not knowing and still doing. Because believe me, there's more wisdom in that often than only doing if fully understanding. And then you say to me, okay, so then we should all be like fascists and we'll all march to some ridiculous leader who leads us to ruin. Okay, look at, you know, okay, it's a fair, it's a very fair accusation. Okay, so look at the last 3,000 years of Jewish history. Has that happened yet? Has that happened yet? hasn't happened yet. hasn't happened yet. The mitzvahs of the Torah have been practiced over the last several thousand years in all four corners of the earth under every type of cultural paradigm. And here we are. I mean, that, that, that seems to me like a pretty darn good recommendation for the Torah mitzvahs. And you say, well, I don't understand them all yet. Okay. So give me your iPhone and your computer and your penicillin <laughs> and then any other medication that you're on and your car. Stop taking the elevator. <laughs> and then we'll talk. You see, the problem is, is the problem is, is that people, people, we have to remind ourselves constantly, and this is part of the fixing of the eyes of looking at the menorah. This is a big part of the fixing of Hanukkah. We have to remind ourselves that there's so much more to the world than what we can see with our eyes. You see, because if all there is in the world is what I can see with my eyes, then you know what? Don't take my donut, because that donut's mine. I'm only going to get a certain number of donuts during my lifetime. (laughs) It's my donut. You get your own donut. But if I know that I'm going to live forever, that the soul lives on, that the unseen aspects of the world are billions and trillions of times larger than the seen aspects of the world, Take the donut. I'm going to live forever, and so are you. What do I need that donut for? So, so Hanukkah, Hanukkah is the Oraganus. Hanukkah is reacquainting ourselves with the eternality of our lives and the eternality of the world and the infinity of the world. I'll tell you something that I heard from Reb Shlomo, that I saw from Reb Shlomo. 
By the way, Rabbi Shlomo Katz put out a book, edited versions of, of Rabbi Shlomo's teachings on Hanukkah, called The Soul of Hanukkah. It's a gem. Run, run, run to get this book. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's really, it's like a classic. And you feel Rabbi Shlomo... Like, there's so many people who didn't have a chance to meet and learn directly with Reb Shlomo. If you read the pages of this book, you're with Reb Shlomo, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it's really, it's really fantastic. Anyway, there's a concept in halacha. This is what I'm telling you now is from just a little piece from Reb Shlomo, from this book. So, there's a concept in halacha called makabit bepatish, which means the final hammer blow. In other words, when you... When a craftsman works on a project, there's one moment where it goes from unfinished to finished, right? So they, they, so imagine like you're hammering a nail into the wall. It's almost in the wall, and then you give it one more hammer blow, and now it's in the wall. So that's the, that's the rabbinic paradigm for finishing a project. Then that's, that's, that's its own separate category of labor, Okay? So listen to this. Very interesting. If you want to understand Hanukkah, there are different ways to understand Hanukkah, but one of the ways to understand Hanukkah is in the context of understanding Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Hanukkah. See, because that's, that's very much a part of the soul of Hanukkah. Okay? And in that aspect, Reb Shlomo brings down that it's Makabipatish, it's the final, Hanukkah is the final hammer blow, if you will. The final finishing of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and now Hanukkah. We're done. We're done with whatever that spiritual cycle is. Very, very interesting. Now, a lot of thoughts will come from that. But, but that in itself is an interesting idea, right? So Rabbi Shlomo says, what is it? That, that Hanukkah is doing that say, that, say, Yom Kippur isn't doing. Because Reb Shlomo is comparing Hanukkah and Yom Kippur a lot. So Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is unforgiven. And now I'm just going to sort of mix in my own ideas with this, okay? Just to keep track of the source here. Yom Kippur is unforgiven, right? And that's, that's, that's huge, actually. If I've done something that I'm ashamed of, and now I can really understand with my heart that God has forgiven me, that's giant. That's a giant. That's giant. But listen to what Hanukkah is. Hanukkah is, I can rebuild again. See, because what happened was, the base of Migdash, and all of us, by the way, are Mishkans. All of us are sanctuaries, each individually. Remember the, the great Torah from the Rishon Rebbe that on, in Parsha Shmini, which is talking about the eighth day, the, the finishing of the Mishkan. And it begins with the word Vayahi. Now Vayahi, the Gomorrah, teaches us anytime you see that word begin a, a Pasuk, a verse, it means something negative. So here's one of the great celebrations in the history of human civilization, the finishing of the Mishkan, which was a miniature of heaven and earth, and it begins with the word Vayahi, how could that, what, what's negative? This is a great, great celebration. So the Rishna Rebbe says, you know why it says Vayahi? Because you and me were supposed to be the Mishkan. It wasn't supposed to be a building. It was supposed to be the finishing of you and me. 
that each one of us became sort of like the, the lightning rod of, of the Shekhinah, if you will. That organic sanctuary. But anyway, that will happen again, by the way. That, that is the destiny of mankind for us to reach that level, right? <clears throat> and on Hanukkah, you can view yourself very much as, as a sanctuary. And so that means that, that Hanukkah means that you can rebuild again. You can rededicate yourself again. So again, let's just put that back into context. On Yom Kippur, I'm forgiven. But forgiven is okay. But let's say I, let's say I had a, a business, right? And, or not me, but let's say someone had a business. And the business goes bankrupt. And they have a lot of debts. So imagine the bank comes and says, hey, great news, we're forgiving all your debts. But does that mean I can open my store again? Not necessarily. Hanukkah, it's revealed to us that we're back in business. <laughs> that we can rebuild again. Even if the odds are so much against us, because there's never been, there's never been like a military victory, like of a band of skinny scholars, which is what the, the Medrash basically des- describes the Maccabees as, overcoming the most powerful army in the world. And let's go deeper. So I heard this from Rabbi Shlomo Katz, and I, I loved it so much. He said this actually at the, at the Knesset in Israel. Awesome place to say over this Torah. I'm just saying part of it. But, but everybody knows that Hanukkah is a fixing of the eyes. Right? So one of the things when you light the menorah, one of the actual laws of Hanukkah, of, 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 the, of the menorah, is that you're not allowed to benefit from the light. That's why we light the shamash. So we say that, you know, we're, we're benefiting from the, the shamash. In other words, so you wouldn't just like light the menorah, say, and then read by it or, or sew by it or something like that. Because, because the lights are just there, the lights are holy, and they're just there for you to look at and to appreciate the beauty of it. So th- again, this is a fixing of the eyes. To be able to say, you're beautiful, and not, how can I use you? You're only beautiful if I can use you in some way. If you can benefit me in some way, then you have a beauty. But just that you exist, I just appreciate, I'm just appreciating your beauty right now. That's, that's, that's the fixing of the eyes of looking at the menorah. And then, and then, Rabbi Shlomo Katz says, beyond that, this is a fixing of causeless hatred. Because why are we still in this exile? Because we're hating each other for no reason. Because we look at each other with the eyes of, what can you do for me? And if you can't do something for me, then why do you even exist? Why are you taking up space? Right? But when our eyes are fixed, then we're just looking at each other and enjoying the beauty of each other. All of us are like, basically, all of us are Hanukkah candles. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Like, I was 
just thinking yesterday, like imagine this like giant menorah and like all the flames like just jump off and just start running, running over the, the globe. Like that's, that's you and me. <laughs> like we're just these rogue flames. We're like these rogue Hanukkah flames. <laughs> and then imagine how the light is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So Reb Shlomo adds a detail to the Hanukkah story, which is amazing. I'll tell you, the, the, the story that all of us have heard up until now. The Jews went into the, the Holy Temple and they cleaned it up and they looked for oil that still had the seal of the Kohen Gadol on it, the high priest on it, it that hadn't been defiled. And they looked and they looked, all the oil had been defiled and then they found one jar that hadn't been defiled. Right? And the miracle of Hanukkah came from that, that that was only supposed to last for one day, it lasted for eight days. By the way, just, just to interrupt Reb Shlomo's thought for a moment there, do you know why eight days? Because it takes eight days to make olive oil that's suitable for the Holy Temple. A very interesting idea there. Because it meant that the miracle lasted just long enough. See, in other words... For, for the work that you still had to do to take effect. Do you understand that? Let me, let me explain further. In other words, the miracle that happened was not to substitute or to absolve you from the work that you had to do. It just gave you time in order to do the work that you needed to do. Because we still needed kosher oil after that which means that we had to start making our own oil during the eight days that the miracle was happening. Do you understand? See, a lot of times, see, this is, this is a whole separate issue, but I'll just mention it briefly. Religion is not a substitute for work. <laughs> this is what we think. We think that because God is all-powerful, which he is, and since God is good, which he is, and since God makes miracles and can do anything that he wants in a moment, which he can, that therefore, if I put my trust in God, I don't have to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, we were doing so well up until that moment. <laughs> Where do you see that thought in Judaism? You don't see that thought anywhere in Judaism. This is a this is a this is something the Yetzahara twists in our mind and it turns laziness into righteousness. This is this is a person has to be very mindful of this. The the miracle only lasted long enough. Only lasted long enough for 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 the work that we were doing in order to take place, right? Because it takes eight days to make oil, and the miracle lasted eight days, right? So, so that's that's the idea. Okay, but let's get back to Reb Shlomo's slide. So, so back to the the classic understanding of Hanukkah. All the oil had been defiled except for one little jar, and then that jar, the miracle took place. So listen to what Reb Shlomo adds to the story. He says, you know what? The Greeks saw that one little jar. They saw it. But they said, ah, how much light can come out of one little jar? 
and they just moved on. Boy, were they wrong. Boy, were they wrong. Right? They, they, from, if you do something with purity and you attach yourself with completeness to God, one little jar of oil can still be burning for, it's now thousands of years. And can you imagine that one little light and now just think for a moment, just, just close your eyes for a moment, just think for a moment. Like imagine all the windows and all the houses all over, 360 around the globe in every direction, that that one little jar is still burning. Right? All the light. See, this is one of the big um, toxins, one of the big poisons of our age, is that we think that unless you're a celebrity, right, unless you have this massive platform, then you can't make a difference in this world. You can't change things. But look how that one little light changed everything. Right? Because that's how God runs the world. You can have one thought, one idea. You, maybe you don't even do anything with it, but you tell someone who tells someone who tells someone who does the idea, and then the entire world turns upside down. So, so I want to I get us out of the, uh, the mode of thinking that light is where Hashem is and darkness is not where Hashem is. We have to understand that light and darkness are working together. And that darkness is now that opportunity for us to bring out the light within ourselves. When you confront darkness, that's God's telling you, okay, now you have to bring out the light. Now you have to be the light. Because God is just sort of like, remember, we always talk about, I mean, I, I visualize this once and I think about it all the time, you know, kaleidoscopes, right? Remember, you look through a kaleidoscope and then you turn the end and then the picture keeps on changing. The picture keeps on changing, right? The actual tube that you're looking through stays, stays steady. It doesn't move. But everything around it moves. The visual moves. So that's you. You're, you're standing there and then God turns the scenery of your life. And now you're here. And next you're in your car, and next you're in the supermarket, and next you're in your house, and next you're talking with someone. God just dictates the environment for you to be able to serve him in. That's what it is. And sometimes it turns and it becomes dark. But the one who turned it is still there. (laughs) And each situation asks us to bring out a different aspect of ourselves. So Tevez, this month that we're in right now, has the full holiday. It is the darkest month of the year. The darkest month of the year. 
By the way, Reb Shlomo was born in this month. The, the darkest month of the year, and yet it's the only month out of the whole 12 months where we say full Hallel. <laughs> and that gets us back, and we'll just finish with this, that gets us back to the Chidush Rim, right? It says you, you encounter that gate, the gate is locked, and then God gives you an opportunity to become a tzaddik by overcoming the challenges in front of you. You know, I once imagined, like, you know, imagine Major League Baseball, right? And you, you've got the bat, and you step up to the plate, and the pitcher throws a ball, right? 90, 90 plus miles an hour. And can you imagine, you say, you put the bat down, and you go, what are you doing? Yeah, 90 slow these days, yeah. That's but you see, this is this is life. This is life. You wake up and you're you are in the batter's box. As soon as you open your eyes, you have stepped into the batter's box, and balls are going to be thrown at you quickly. But that's actually this world. It's not trying to hit you. It might hit you every once in a while especially if you lean in too close and you're not careful. But, but that's, that, that should be our level of expectation. You wake up and the ball gets thrown, and we shouldn't be shocked that a ball is being thrown. Well, what are you doing? You're, you, look at you. You're wearing a baseball uniform. That, you've got arms, you've got legs, you've got eyes. That's your baseball uniform. <laughs> if you're in a body, that means you're in this world which means you're in this game. That's what it is. Don't be shocked, because you're wearing the uniform right now. So how does that change things? Because then I go, okay, what's coming at me today? From, from, the, from the moment I wake up, what's coming at me today? And then it's sort of like, okay, this one, that one, this one, that one. The problem is, is that when we get thrown, see, if we expect it, then it's sort of like, oh, I got to write that email. Oh, I got to make that call. Oh, okay, that's, I, I, I thought I explained it to him. Okay, I got to explain it again. Then, then you're on it. It's just sort of like, what? I got to write that email? Oh, I got to make that call? Oh, I got to explain it again? See, if a person is going through life like that, then every single thing is like, every single thing is like, it's like wiping the person out. So, so let's just go back to this idea and we'll, we'll finish up for real. This idea, tonight actually is the eighth night of Hanukkah. And the eighth night of Hanukkah Kabbalistically speaking, is they say it's the finishing up of, of like Yom Kippur. So it's a big night, actually. It's a very, it's a very holy night. It's got its own special name, actually. The eighth night of Hanukkah has its own special name. It's called Zos Hanukkah, which means this is Hanukkah. And whenever you see the word Zos in the Torah, it means you can point to it. 
That means that there's a, a, a almost like a, a concrete quality to, to that idea. It's not an abstract thing. It's concrete at that point. So tonight is Zos Hanukkah. So, so Reb Shlomo says that what Hanukkah is doing is it's completing our heart. It's completely completing our heart. He says that part of the problem is, is that people think that they can hate with one side of their heart and love with the other side of their heart. And it doesn't work. And one of the old-time greatest teachings, in my opinion, from him is that he visited Germany one time and he was met at the airport by reporters who said, do you hate us? And he said, you know, if I had two hearts, I could use one for loving and one for hating. But I only have one heart, so what can I do? I have to use it for loving. Hanukkah, Hanukkah is that original light of creation, that 25th word of the Torah, that initial or, the or haganus, that great light which outshone the sun and the moon by a billion zillion times, that light that's going to return to us back in the end of days. And so something that I struggled with for years and years and years and years and years was I'd sit and I'd look at my menorah and I'd say, how can that be the or haganus? <laughs> I don't understand it. I mean, everyone says it's the Orhaga news. It's the original light of creation. But I don't understand how that can be the Orhaga news. It's like a little flame in front of my eyes. I don't get it. I don't get it. So the way I understand it right now is, you know, they say when, um, when there's an eclipse... Like you'll always hear this on the radio. They'll say, you know what? You have to be very careful not to look into the light of the eclipse. But if you want to do it, here's how you do it. Take a piece of cardboard, (laughs) poke a hole in the cardboard, and look through the hole. And then you can see, you'll see it, right? I'm sure you've all heard that a dozen times, right? So I think that's what, I think that's what's going on. I think that's what's going on. It's like the, the, the flame of the menorah, it's like a little hole has been punched into time and space. And you're getting a glimpse of the light that's the original light of creation. And it is the Orhaganus. 10,000% it's the Orhaganus. But a little punch through thousands of years of history, of hiddenness, opens up for you to see what's behind absolutely everything. And that's the light of God. It's the goodness of God, even in the darkness. And it's the love of God.